Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody? My name is Garrett Morlang. Hey, everybody. I'm JJ Prudhomme. And we are the Super Gamer Boys. And we are the preeminent video game podcast in the entire world. We are trying to take over the world with all of our comedy, with news and whatnot. And we are so excited to be members of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. Yes, we bring you uh, all the news you want to know every week. We bring you movie reviews, game reviews, uh, and all the goofs you want to hear. So come check us out every Wednesday on your favorite podcast service. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Did you know that ArtCast is on Patreon? Well, now you do. So go check out patreon.com slash ArtCast for ways to help out the show and get some sweet perks in return. It could be something small, such as our $1 tier to show your support, or you could join one of our higher tiers to get a shout-out, pick an episode topic, or even be a part of the show as a special guest. Even just sharing our show to your friends goes a long way. So once again, that's patreon.com slash ArtCast. Thanks for helping us, and keep it retro. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 176 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is the man from Denver, Robert Workman. Hola, how it goes? And also with us, too, is a lady who will show you some tender love and care, Candace Shane. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Hi. <laughs> That's you all over, right? That's me, yep. <laughs> tender loving care, when was this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's not the Candace I know. <laughs> yeah, guess I missed it. Oh, well. That's right. And uh, we have a very special episode here because we're talking about Sierra uh, and like the history of the company and all that. And what better person to get on there than a person who actually worked at Sierra, namely Jason from Metal Jesus Rocks. So how's it going there, Jason? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny is I kind of inadvertently ran into him at like PAX West while we were waiting at that indie party. And I inadvertently called John Hancock, John Riggs by accident, because there are too many beards on that team. I, I don't know what it is. Wait, this was a few weeks ago? I think so, at PAX West. Well, I was hanging out in the line for the indie party. There was like an indies party over there off of uh, 2nd Street or whatever at one of those locations. We're just hanging out there, and then you and John Hancock were walking by and everything, and I'm, I, I accidentally called him John Riggs. <laughs> wait, wait, was this, was this over by... Um... The crocodile? Were you trying to get into the IGN party? Yeah, yeah. Did you get into that IGN party? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that party was capped. Uh, was, wow, yeah. exposed. Yeah, wow. sorry. <laughs> hey, IGN parties are notoriously hard to get into anyway, yeah. usually because they don't have a good track record with actually managing parties. I'll just say that outright. So. Yeah, I mean, we waited, what, two years ago? We were waiting for a Bioshock party, and we were Bioshock. The Bioshock we party was... Right, exactly. Yeah, we were, like, waiting in line forever, and we actually had tickets and everything, and they I just know. didn't honor them or something. Really? really yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, it's uh, really terrible. We, we just stick, show, so. They we overserve those tickets. So, they really do. Okay, so you get so you came to was that your first time in Seattle or you've been here before? Oh no, I've been here several times before. Okay. Here, are you here now? Oh, I'm going to be this weekend actually. Oh. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Oh, interesting. Yeah, for okay. sure. Cool. Yeah, so yeah. 
so we'll start off with the news here. Starting off with E3, actually. Um, so E3 basically has plans to become now a, quote, fan, media, and influencer festival. So certainly a <laughs> long way from how it was back in the day. It's just like a trade show with like businesses talking and all that stuff. Um, so Jason, I figure we'll have you start off here. Uh, what are your thoughts on what the new E3 is starting to look like? Yeah, you know, I, I read that news and I was immediately a little bit disappointed because I've been going to E3 since I think 1999. And so I've, I've gone eight times nine times i usually go a couple years skip a couple years go a couple years and skip Mm -hmm. so i've been i've been a lot and i was back whenever it was just industry only and then you know in the last couple years they've opened it up partially to the public and here's the thing is that you know it's designed to it was originally designed to have a bunch of journalists and uh industry people to you know go one-on-one with developers and and also too not only just developers but also people in the background who are making hardware and so, you know just peripherals and all that sort of stuff and you the retailers uh, also yeah i mean it was at e3 where i got to play the yamiko you know and in, in close oh, okay. behind closed doors never heard of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, that, and that's what that was for and so here's the thing is that i love e3 because you can go there and it's not overly crowded. Like you go, you just, you just mentioned PAX. PAX is slammed because it is mm. way too many people packed in there trying to stand, you know, standing in line for four to eight hours to play one game where PAX used to be where if you made an appointment, you can, or even sometimes not, you could, it was just a much more relaxed professional environment. And I, I, I always really appreciated that and, and liked it and took advantage of that, you know, um, I, I, I tell the story often is that, you know, there was back in the day, cause it's in LA, uh, Brad Pitt was rock walking around the floor and mm-hmm. it, he didn't even have handlers because you didn't need them because everyone was a professional. No one would, right. no one would freak out and run up to him and ask. And that, and that wasn't unusual. You know what I mean? At the time. Right. And so I, I actually really liked that laid back a little bit more professional, a little bit more mellow vibe of packs and, I'm not PAX, uh, E3, and even in the last couple of years, I've really enjoyed the first day and a half where, again, it's just industry people where you can kind of go at your own pace and perhaps get access to stuff and not have to stand in line forever. So going to a more public thing, you know, I can see why people would would be really excited for that. You know, if if you are just a gamer and want to play games, absolutely, I can see where that would just be awesome. Um, the LA Convention Center is massive, and it takes over all that space, and it's cool. But I probably would stop going because I wouldn't. I don't know. I just I, the the only thing I would say is that you can. I guess you can still make appointments, which that that's cool because that would be really nice. I mean, that's kind of like that's kind of expected though from any convention, especially any convention that has like media involved too, and. I feel like these past few years, anyway, with like E3, that's kind of gotten in the way, I guess, of media just basically doing their job, really, as far as like how the ESA is trying to uh, is trying to handle like the public coming in, as, as well as like trying to cater to like you know to like the media people mm-hmm. and like everyone else there who's like there for like business reasons. Yeah. Um, and it's just be, kind of become like a little bit, you know, a little bit of a shit show. So like at least like I guess in this case, they're actually trying to go full on, almost like a PAX like yep. convention. Yeah. Um, which we kind of suspected anyway, but you know, it, it's just kind of interesting the way like, the way that they're doing it, especially like with uh, things like uh, adding in cutainment, if you will, like where people are waiting in line and you can actually like engage with like other like you know patrons or whatever, like playing games or whatever. 
and Robert, I imagine this would be like something kind of like along the lines of like the uh, the guy walking around with like the uh, like Tetris uh, when we were away for the kind of yeah, funny tournament. Except not nearly as fun, I don't think. Um, <laughs> Probably not. So no. here's the problem: is like they're taking it out of the hands of media almost completely. They said they're going to have one day for professionals and then the other two days for everybody, and they were giving out an additional twenty five thousand tickets. For public, so they're going to try to cram the show as full as possible those two days. Mm, but it's ten thousand more tickets, basically, yeah. than from the previous year. But yeah. Which is already jammed me. full. Have you guys been to E three before? Oh God, yeah, yeah, <laughs> wall yeah. To too many. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so, too wall to wall. And the other thing is too, as you guys know, is that E three is not just the floor. Actually, that's only a small, you know, that's a large portion of it. But there are all the back rooms where people the meeting are, rooms are flying yeah, in yeah. from around the world to make you know distribution deals and all that sort of stuff. I mean. I assume that that would continue because actually I think that's the real power of E3. If you are a small distributor or like, for instance, Doug, Doug from Limited Run Games, he goes there Mm -hmm. to to meet with potential developers to bring them on to release their physical games. And you're not going to do that on the the public floor. You're going to need a a private room in the back where you can make those deals. And I think that's that's going to have to continue. And that's not part of PAX as far as I know. I've had to have this conversation slash argument with many people. Um, A lot of the times the people that get the most frustrated with me about it are consumers, right? They're like Mm -hmm. folks that are gamers and enthusiasts and they want to have the doors just busted wide open (laughs) and full transparency and they want to play these games because they're the customers, right? And I, I have to constantly remind them that that's not what E3 is about. Like E3 is meant to be, and it's meant to be an expo. There are exhibitors. There are people trying to find games they want to publish. There are people who are trying to get their games published. There are people who are trying to show journalists their games to get media attention and hype. You know, it's not really meant to be a big show floor, like say PAX where the, everybody can come in it's meant to be a preview kind of thing. Yeah. And it is also meant to be a business deal place. And so, you know, I understand why people who play video games and love them as much as we also do want to get their hands on these things. But I think over the past, I would say 10 years, nobody's really reminded anybody of that. And I've been at the E3. Remember that one year where I was at a hangar? In Santa Monica. Yeah, and they drove us around in a bus, and we went all the way up in that hotel. Yeah, and it was E for All, and then the weird years where they would kind of introduce some people who paid an exorbitant amount of money to get in there. And, like, I remember when they were showing off for Honor, and I would get trampled, you know, by by not professional, like, you know, know, journalists and, and media people. No, I would... It was all these enthusiasts and fans. And and like I said, I get the excitement. I totally do. I'm a fan too. But I'm trying to work. I have to get to meetings. I have to rush from one end of the LACC to the other. I've got to like get all over the place. And when I'm getting trampled by people who don't get that I'm there to work. So, you know. Candace, I have to actually ask you then uh, with with like this shift then over to being like more about like, you know, about like um, influencers and like, you know, fans and all that stuff. Um, do you see yourself ever going back to E3? Like, is this like something that, you know, is like still on your radar as far as like being like a journalist or whatever? So? Well, I'm I'm, I'm kind of stepping out of that arena for the most part. 
Um, right. You're more into like Twitch streaming now, so. Yeah. Well, it's not even that. I'm I'm getting more into social, you know, media and community right now. So I'm really glad that that's not an aspect of my job, where I have to <laughs> rush from like one place to the other every five minutes. Making meetings. But yeah. I was already stepping back away from E3 because of that really bad, egregious leak. Oh, where, right. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, mm, I don't have yeah. the same phone number I had three months ago. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, right. Yeah. I do want to just mention one thing here. <laughs> one other thing that bugs me is that they're talking about trying to control the media message with some of the people that broadcast me three, like did it with CNBC. That rubbed me the wrong impact. way, too. And I'm like, yeah. guys. Oh, I didn't yeah. hear about so that. So I said, basically, yeah. That's they're ugly. looking to control content and the message. And I'm like, guys, you didn't really control that leak that leaked all our information back in 2018 and 2019, did you? No. But, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> this sort of thing is exactly what's scaring off companies from coming to E3. EA pulled out a few years back. They were doing EA Play now. Sony didn't go this year. Devolver Digital. They do a picnic across the street with Kinsey and all them, and it's amazing. It's so awesome. It is. I want to just stay there three days. Can I just stay there <laughs> yeah. and enjoy the beer and the food cart? I'm good. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's just getting to the point now. It's like the ESA is drawing this line in the sand. And I think more companies are probably going to exile once this plan. Oh, by the way, it was broken over the team of GameDaily.biz. I should give them a heads up because they did a great job on this report. Um, but it's just, it, it's going to exile more companies. If you take a look at the floor plans, I mean, everything's like an e- E3 sports zone or here, here are experiences and everything. And then a couple of game companies, like it's not even E3 anymore. And a lot of the companies are leaving because number one, the price is over over the top anyway it's like what one million dollars for a booth on the floor or something like that three mm-hmm. million if it's bigger well that right. was why sony had stepped back anyways yeah. well and, and microsoft wasn't even on the floor either. yeah they, they had their thing right yeah. next door yeah 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 well and they kind of realized that they can spend less money and also manage exactly what they want their message to be by just doing their own yep. thing. And it's balanced mm-hmm. with fans and, and that makes sense. Fans when press like is much better balanced than a big show in which I cram in 25,000 people more on top of what we already have. I will say the one thing I will miss, and this is just this isn't even about being a journalist. This is even about being in the, the industry whatsoever. The turkey legs from Bethesda? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Those were those were unwieldy. I was dropping mine all over the place. Like King Richard's Fair over here or something. Give me a fork. No, no. I I really was always so excited for the Sony press conferences, mm. like mm. that one they did yeah. for God of War. Like, ah, oh, they were so entertaining. I will miss those. But as as far as it goes, like running around the LACC, I'm not going to miss that. I'm yeah. good. I yeah. probably won't go back. I mean, the thing I'll miss is seeing the people. Like, I'm wandering around, mm-hmm. and there's right. Patrick Scott Patterson. Like, let's get a picture. And then I go over to this booth and be like, oh, hey, Candace <laughs> is here. I'm gonna, She's going to kick my ass at Ghost Recon Wildlands or something. You know, just those <laughs> kind of experiences. I, I could, you know, I could see games anytime, but it's the experience for me three that I'm going to miss the most. Because I don't think – I think there's going to be a huge media fallout from this. I think only a certain few will go because yeah. they have to. It's their jobs. But, I mean, the way the ESA is sounding – I don't know. I really don't know. I don't like where this is headed. I mean, that kind of begs the question, I guess, with how pertinent that games media is in this industry now and like whether or not this is like... It's not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like it's more about influencers. It's more about like the companies themselves really spreading the message and being like their own media in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's kind of like what we're looking at, I guess, like as far as I guess like what like the future of this looks like and what, you know, 
E3, I guess, is hopefully trying to future-proof themselves on. I'm not sure if it'll work out for them. I'm, I'm kind of like on on the fence with it, but um, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how 2020 works out for them. So we'll wait and, and see it, on that. Mm-hmm. And as an influencer, I would say, you know, if they're going to go the, the PAX route, because PAX just happened and I was just there, mm-hmm. it is almost impossible for me to walk around, like, let's just say the indie area and have a real conversation with anybody about their game. So I guess that's like that's noise the, or is people stopping you or? Oh, my crowds. God. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. For I mean, for many reasons, when the crowds and it's just it's overpacked, it's standing room only. You have to fight to just get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then also, too, I'm being stopped all the time just because people recognize me as well. And again, that's not a bragging thing by any means. It's just that, right. you know, I'm there to kind of like what Candace was saying, she's trying to work. And it would be really nice if if PAX would maybe take one of those four days and make one of them or even half a day or something like that, just media only mm. that way influencers like me could go in. Cause I, I have a lot of people reach out to me that week to stop by their booth and I'd love to. And sometimes I try to, but mm-hmm. man, it's a, it's a zoo. <laughs> yeah. You, know? you need like a teleporter or something to get over there. So like avoid everyone <laughs> entirely, right. you know, or go like in like a costume or something. I don't know. <laughs> a secret passage for media people. That's what it needs to be like. Well, it's like, it's like, I'm like five foot nothing, you know, <laughs> and I already have to get kind of led around by the people that I'm with. Right. Right. Just so that I don't get trampled as it is. Yeah. Like a grappling hook or something. Yeah, swing right. over. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was one of the sad bastards that was like standing like right at the door when that big rush happened Mm. like to get in on the final day and it was horrifying (laughs) like i i mean i people were like pushing me yanking me around and i'm like i just i just need to work yeah yeah like i'm not trying to black friday every day of e3 (laughs) right right Fair um, enough. By by the way, I have crazy uh, dogs in the background, so I apologize if you can hear them. Oh, no, it's all good. No worries. No worries. Not a problem. I guess they're excited for E three twenty twenty in this case. Yeah. Um, no, no one is ever going to break into my home unannounced because <laughs> my dogs will freak out. Awesome. <laughs> oh, mine too. There's a reason. Like I like put them all the way on the other side of the house because I knew I was going to record. <laughs> well, another thing that's also going through like a major change is GameStop, and uh, there was actually a leaked video that got out. Uh, showing a video tour of one of the new layouts, basically, that looks like that other GameStops are going to follow. Uh, it's basically going to be like a very retro gaming kind of theme, uh, especially like the fact that they have like a couch set up with like a big screen TV in the front. Uh, they have like T-shirts and Funkos and whatever, like, you know, along with like games and stuff like to sell like on the on the, on the walls and stuff. Uh, but also in the way back, you'll see that there's a bunch of CRT TVs along with like a big like table that looks like it could be used for like board games or something. Um, so Jason, again, we'll have you like start off here. What do you think about like this particular focus with GameStop? Well, you know, I, I didn't hate it. I mean, um, this looks like the kind of game stores that we have in Seattle, you know, to a certain degrees that, you know, we have 11 retro gaming stores in Seattle. Right. And covering many, many different, different styles from Pink Gorilla, which kind of goes after the, uh, super potato style, the Japanese style too. Uh, we have some of them that kind of look like pond stores and we have some that are, uh, they have magic the gathering because wizards of the coast is also from our area right so it looked very familiar to me and uh i mean i think it's kind of cool uh do i think it's going to save their their bacon i'm not (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) um i here's what i think that they needed i think they needed a bold change and a bold decision 
if not for us, but for stockholders to just say, hey, hold out a little bit longer. Let's see if this works. Right. And uh, it, it could. It, it's interesting. I mean, for sure. I'd check it out. You know, I'm one of those guys who actually I like GameStop. GameStop ser- serves a purpose. I can go in there and buy really cheap PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Wii games, Wii U games, DS games. Th- you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like they serve that purpose. The previous uh, gen of games, yeah. Absolutely. And there's a ton of them around here. So, uh, you know, it's funny. I read online people going for complete Wii U collections and they can finish it in a week because they go to GameStop, right? That's fair. And so, and also, too, not only just that, but actually the the employees in my area are pretty damn cool. So do I like all the, the, the things that GameStop does? No, you know, it, it's annoying whenever they try to upsell you all the time. Right. But I also think it serves a purpose and I don't want to see it fade away. I think that would not be good overall for gamers. I mean, it feels like it's more on, on like the higher ups, I guess, or like what the overall philosophy of the, you know, that like GameStop has tended to follow, I guess that people don't like, uh, it's not necessarily that the people like usually people who like actually work at the stores are pretty good and very knowledgeable and like always willing to help and all that. Um, you know, and with this whole like rebranding this like new like layout, if you will, like with um with with like the stores, it does kind of feel like they're almost kind of going with like a almost like a Starbucks kind of philosophy in a sense, like where mm-hmm. they want you to stay there. They want you to stay in game and like kind of like, you know, build that community, I guess, within GameStop. And I guess that's a big reason why too they shut down like so many stores is because like they want to have fewer of them, but have more people kind of congregate to the stores. So yeah, and we have a couple really large ones in the Seattle area down in Tukwila. We have, we have, I mean, it's it's massive. It's it's almost the size of like a uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. I mm, mean, it's wow. huge. And so, so we've got a couple of those in this area, and uh, I can totally see them working this out where they would. They, I mean, they just have room to do that. So, uh, but they wouldn't be able to do it in the mall stores, you know, because those yeah. are smaller. Those are probably the ones that got shut down. Honestly, probably. I think the thing here is that they want to build up something personable. They, they, you know, cause they know that a lot of their business is translating over to the digital side of things. So they have to rely mm-hmm. a lot on retro sales on used game sales. So they want their stores to be personable. They, they want people to come in and enjoy, you know, like some of the stuff that they have. Uh, I'm not quite sure how the old school gaming setup will make money unless they're trying, you know, games to be, like, Oh, okay. I can take this home. You know, something like that. That is a cool idea. I wonder mm-hmm. if it'll be like a pay as you're there kind of thing, like pay by like, the hour or something like that i don't know if they do that it's do you guys have any board game stores in your area because we've got two i have a couple near me yeah yeah i have a couple i kind of that was the vibe i'm getting i'm like oh they rent by the hour you throw a birthday party there or Mm -hmm. a friday night you know of course they serve alcohol at a lot of them that i in food at the that the two that are in our area so i think that's where they make that up but they also, of course, it's they also sell the board games, but it'd be interesting if they did that. Yeah, I guess like it's still like a little unsure, but uh, Candace, I was kind of curious on what you think about GameStop's plan here. Well, I mean, I gotta be honest, I I don't really do well in GameStops anymore as it is. Yeah, <laughs> you're like allergic <laughs> um, to them. Or... <laughs> well, see, the thing is, is like I don't. Uh, right, this is gonna sound really shitty. I need to <laughs> lay it on us, Candace. Come on, that's why we have it on the show. Um, <laughs> I I kind of stopped going to GameStops, um, simply because I didn't like the way they talked to me, mm. or I would get harassed. Really? Or I I think I think it might just be my GameStop, but we only have like two GameStops within, I would say like sixty miles. You know? Is it just like the employees um, at your GameStop that's giving you like a hard time or something? It's like the one nearby me. It's just I think they're uh, 
they don't believe that I'm a gamer. Oh, okay. Um, Girl gamer, get girls. out of here. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, and I, I don't, like, think it's GameStop's fault or anything like that, but I just kind of, like, don't bother. Um, right. If I'm, usually if I'm going to go pick up a hard copy of a game, I'll, I'll usually buy it online, you know, mm. and just avoid the drama altogether. Um, or going out, period. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, not even that. I just, um, I remember there used to be, do you guys remember game crazy it was like Hollywood. yeah 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 um when i first started getting like pretty heavy into game journalism i would say once every six or so months because i was like in the bottom barrel of like the reviewers so i used to have to review all the crap you know (laughs) like they would just send me all the nonsense they didn't want to review and it was like scooby-doo unmasked and Dis- <laughs> Disney Pixar's Chicken Little, you know? And so yeah, I would yeah. get this, like, just crazy collection of nonsense games. Then after I was done reviewing them, I wasn't going to keep them. Like, what the hell? Why do- I'm not going to play <laughs> and Flux again. So I would, like, take them in. And um, I either got questioned for, like, stealing them or <laughs> okay. um, is are you mad at your boyfriend um, or, you know, just random weird stuff like that. Well, the it, usual sexist kind of comments, really. Right, right, right. Or, like, real, why yeah. do you only bring in bad games, you know? Right, and right. And, like, it's not like I want to, like, sit there and, like, tell people, like, what I do or, and then get into that whole line of questioning. Well, it's not up to you, like, to give them, like, your whole life story or whatever. Right. Like, the whole like, reason why you're there to begin exactly. with. So, I'm just here to make a transaction. You're here to accept it. Right. But, like, <laughs> there's something about me that just makes people want to just talk at me and ask me a thousand questions. And it started happening at GameStop more and more when Game Crazy shut down because I had to go there, right? Right. And and then it turned into, well, what do you do? Why do you always have these <laughs> games? Why do you always come in with these? What's I, going I on? got that a little bit too, though. I was reviewing a lot for the PlayStation 2 back in the day. And so I was on Sony's preferred reviewer list. And right. Same. I got every single PlayStation 2 release, all of them. And it was crazy. And so I would get, you know, 10 to 15 games a week and i remember bringing mm-hmm. in final fantasy 12 uh two hours after it launched that's exactly the dude he's like uh i'm only gonna give you 25 bucks for this i'm like i know he's like what the hell do you do <laughs> are you a time traveler <laughs> yeah you know it's not like i'm gonna keep them all you know and yeah. they're just, yeah. I can go ahead and trade them in and get something else that maybe I wouldn't get sent, you know? So, like, whatever. I'm, I'm kicking myself today because I remember I got sent all of the dot .hack games. Oh. Uh-huh. As, yeah, and all of that, you know, all those RPGs now that are on the PS2 that, you know, at the time I was like, eh, you know. We don't want to talk about my rule of rose problems. Oh, (laughs) so you're the one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the once like people started to kind of understand what I did, then it like turned into every time I went in, everybody wanted to talk to me about stuff and, Mm. you know, or it just, it got old. So like I, whatever GameStop decides to do, you know, I'm cool with whatever as long as they treat their people right as long as i mean they i i am obviously really sensitive to massive layoffs because of restructuring you know right right so so i i just feel really bad for people who you know have had to go through all of that so if if people can get jobs again and and do all of that stuff I'm, i'm hopeful yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, one thing we're also hopeful for is uh, more Klonoa, more Splatterhouse, and more Mr. Driller. And it looks Speaking like we might be getting that. 
Yeah, Splatterhouse. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Bandai Namco has apparently trademarked the Encore editions of some of its older franchises here, uh, namely Mr. Driller, Klonoa, and Splatterhouse, as well as like, a couple of uh, um, couple of Japanese properties there too. Um, but uh, yeah, Robert, I, I imagine you're very, very excited for a possible remaster here for Klonoa. Klonoa. Anyway, I know you love Klonoa. Uh, so. <laughs> you know, Klonoa and Klonoa 2 on the PlayStation. I mean, you know, Klonoa 1 on PlayStation and Klonoa 2 Lunatics Veil on PlayStation 2 were my favorite platformers. So, yes, I am excited to see if we get some sort of collection or a remake like we did on the Wii. But here's a curious thing. I want to know what they're doing with Splatterhouse. Because mm. are we going to get the 2010 game back, like remastered? I imagine like it's going to be like the older games. Because we, ha- we already yeah. got the original Splatterhouse. We got it on the Namco Museum Collection on Switch. So mm. it's not mm. like we need to re-release that. So I'm trying to figure out what they have in mind for it. But, I mean, if it's an HD version where the splatter looks better, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not psychotic. I mean, I'm not psychotic, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Mr. Driller. We haven't had a good version of that in years because, like, the Xbox 360 version didn't really work on the line. So I'll take a Switch mm. version of that as long as you could do the flip grip thing where you could turn it on its side and have it, like, set up. That would be cool, game. actually. Yeah. I would take that. And then, of course, the other games you were talking about, the Wagi Land Land Encore. And- House. Genpei, Tuma, Den, Encore, not Splatterhouse, but (laughs) But those are the other games they mentioned there. But obviously, um, these Encore editions would have a lot in common with Katamari Damacy Reroll. So, (laughs) did I say it wrong? No, no, you're all right. You you were laughing at me for no reason. No, I was excited. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I mean, now now we just need announcements. I mean, I would love to see a Klonoa collection on on Switch or Mm. PlayStation 4 or whatever. Just give me my Klonoa back. So, uh, Candace, I, I imagine you're a big Splatterhouse fan, yeah? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> you <no>. lied. <laughs> you traded it in at GameStop, yeah? <laughs> Never. Are you kidding me? Yeah, right. I would sooner trade in my mom. <laughs> um... hey, if your mom's listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, she would never. She knows. So, um, um, how fast would you pick up, though, on, on like a Splatterhouse remaster? Oh, so fast. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, 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 see, the thing is, I'm really picky about those kind of things. Like, I know the, the ins and outs of remastering and, you know, sometimes you don't have the licensing for the original music or whatever, you know, um, or the artwork has to change for such and such reason. Um, I understand how that works. Um, but with that said, I just want to play it again. And I wanted to be like, pretty and I want to play all of them, and um, I will take it. Like, change the music. It's okay. Because you know what? I got cartridges in the other room. Hmm. If I really need that, I'll just go play those. Now, imagine if they did come out with all the Splatterhouse games, like all the old-school Splatterhouse mm-hmm. games, like in like a remastered trilogy of some sort, uh, but also come out with Splatterhouse Wampaku Graffiti. Oh. <laughs> I would be all about that, personally. I think, so. I think Candace oh is about god. to pass out. Hang on. Yeah. Oh god. Oh. Uh, Jason, are any of these franchises something that gets you excited? Yeah, I would buy Klonoa Day One. I absolutely love that series. The, the PlayStation One games are great. The Wii version is great. I, I just think they're excellent. So that would be really cool to get. Yeah. And, and we give Klonoa Two a proper re-release because that one was supposed to be done for the Wii as well, and then Bandai Namco canceled it. I mean. That's mm-hmm. that's an amazing looking game on PS2. Imagine how it would look on the Switch. I'm I'm drooling already. This is just <laughs> crazy. 
For sure, for sure. And uh, last story here that we have to talk about is Analog, uh, the company that has brought you the Mega SG and the Super NT, basically like the consoles that allow you to play your old school games on your modern TVs. Well, now they're looking to do the reverse. <laughs> so they're looking to have like your more modern consoles be able to play on older TVs. Um, so, uh, Robert, let's have you start off on this. What do you think about this idea? <laughs> it's kind of neat, but I'm trying to figure out like, can it work to, to full effect? Because like when companies try to do stuff with newfangled TVs, it doesn't always work 100%. Like, um, let me bring up a point here. Uh, like Eon Gaming Super 64, I reviewed it a while back. Right. We had them on the show talking about it. And it's really cool and everything like that, but it doesn't quite work with every new model. Like there are some 4K TVs it doesn't work with. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, just some. I mean, you know, if it, oh. it still does great in HD and there are some models it does work with. But I mean, when you do something like this, when you try to bring a retro experience to new televisions, there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through with the new technology. Right. I mean, if anybody could do it, it's analog. They they have a great track record with their with their hardware, the Mega SG, the Super NT, but you know, there are certain hoops that you have to jump through with, I mean, and plus we have the 8k TVs in the horizon. I mean, I'm still getting used to 4k and they're going to well, multiply that again. They're going the opposite direction with this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're basically saying, Hey, you could plug in a modern H or a, a modern console or even the analog, whatever you want to do. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah and sorry. It's output, right. So, so this is digital. Just reading up. Analog. Thing. Okay. This no, okay, and, so and, then in that case that would work. Well, and, and you're 100% right. That's a really weird thing to do in this day and yeah. age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although, you know, some people, they want it, they have their GX TV. You never know. We, we go through all of this work to get these beautiful graphics. <laughs> and then people are like, but I miss my old tube television. Exactly. It's a yeah. Fad. I, it's a fad. I mean, if you're a purist and you want to play games and look the way they used to, which I get it, I totally do, those people are just going to have an older television. Like, you want to play like a new game and make it look old sure go ahead you'll do it for five minutes yeah well, I five think, minutes correct, correct me if i'm wrong but so and i've only i just heard about this today so i haven't really read up on it but it's it's i think it's kind of wild because i do have a big old crt and i do have a lot of this stuff so it's kind of geared i think towards me mm-hmm. um and it's it's a trip because basically what you could use is their analog nes device so you know all digital great output and then you could basically plug it in and use a light gun essentially right i mean yeah make light guns work again in that case well i i could have swore what i was reading was essentially um also that it could turn your newer games to have like uh, scan lines and things like a PS4, mm. or Xbox One, or whatever. Right, mm. right, right. right. And to me, I felt like that aspect of it is just a fad. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to like play your your consoles on a nicer television, that totally makes sense to me. That's fine. Right. Do you that. know, That's there great. there are certain. I mean, the reason why I keep it is not just for light gun games, but also like for instance, those really early second gen consoles like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, the Intellivision, right. the ColecoVision. They look fantastic on a CRT in, in a way that just yeah, you know, you can see more pixels and more defined lines and stuff like that on a HD television, but it's not the same experience. When I plug in my Atari mm. in my CRT, I'm instantly brought back to exactly how those games are supposed to look. Yeah, and so that's a good that's point. Why, actually, that's why I keep that older television. You know, I yeah. I want that experience. 
Yeah, I guess maybe if like Analog actually came out with their own like um, own like um, CRT TVs in this case, like to kind of go along with it, then maybe you hmm. know maybe you might have like more of a market for it. Otherwise, you're kind of like relying on people who already own CRT TVs, and a lot of those have already gone out in the trash. So right, yeah, right, but right. there. I was reading up. I just linked to this report here, and then we'll have the link in our episode as well. But a report indicates that some people believe that CRT monitors are actually better than modern gaming lcd monitors mm. and i'm sure a lot of classic gamers will probably agree with that i mean like well uh, it's like, a lack of input lag and and stuff like that mm, totally so, right yeah uh that helps a lot and i mean i i kept my my monitors as long as i possibly could before i just had to give it up and go ahead and and go older i uh, go newer with it but i don't know i i feel like true purists are gonna stick with the thing it's going to be worth a shot and maybe it'll be fun and look good mm-hmm. and maybe it'll work, but I don't know. I've got this really weird feeling that it's still not going to hold up to the original. Yeah. I mean, it'll certainly have like an audience, but yeah. yeah. At $80, I think that that's a, I mean, that's the cheapest device I think they've ever released, correct? I th- Something like that. I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they, well, aside from like individual Is it 80? I, I thought it was 190. It's eighty. It's eighty. Yeah, because oh, it's basically yeah. So, so that's not bad if somebody wants to jump in and, and see what that. The other thing I have to say though, I think it looks fantastic. It looks like a, it reminds me. I don't know if you guys uh, are audiophiles or, or mess around with that sort of stuff, but there's a uh, there's a brand called Macintosh, and it's M C I N Tosh. That that basically makes a lot of high end analog equipment for you know total analog you know audiophiles like people who are right. heavily into vinyl. They, it looks like that. It looks like a really high quality piece of, of audio equipment. So uh, analog definitely, they tap into that market of people who want just the absolute best, no compromises. And so for that, I actually really do like that company. I think it's pretty interesting. I'm kind of curious. Do you think that this would translate to people who want to do retro streaming? Well, you'd have to, so you still have to capture it, right? So that's right. the big challenge with streaming is that you know, where do you capture it at that point? Cause I, I don't, so you, you say that you, you stream Twitch. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, as a YouTuber and, and I have 40 years worth of consoles, I have about five different solutions for capturing everything I need, whether it's a PC, like an Amiga right. or an Atari 2600. How do you do that? Right. So right. for streaming, I don't know if this would help that much because you still have to have that old Elgato that supports the analog input yeah, for S video about that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so, and then, and then, and then on Twitch, you're going to upscale it to 1080 P. Right. Yeah, Which and is going to be like, crap. what's the point, you know? Right. So mm-hmm. I think I have a friend of mine who, uh, he works at Microsoft and he is a total audiophile. He's way beyond anything I am. And I know for a fact, he's sitting there drooling over this thing. He's just probably <laughs> like, it's for him. You know what I mean? Hello, my name's Richard Moss, and I make a podcast called The Life and Times of Video Games. It's a narrative and documentary-style show about games' history and how the medium has evolved over time. Each episode or bonus interview soundbite delves into some aspect of the ups and downs of the industry, or the design, development, and legacy of the best or most interesting games ever made. It's all carefully edited, complete with original music and sound design, and a mix of interviews and deep research, all set up to tell you a great story about the secret worlds behind or within video games. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome!
that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called What Are You Playing? We've got some games we've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Jason, with you being a special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Yeah, this question is always, oh, my God. So, You sound like me. What are you not playing? Well, yeah, exactly. So, so to give you an idea is that Reggie just came over, was it yesterday? What is today? Tuesday? No, today's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. He came over yesterday or Monday. I don't know. Anyways, and we captured two pickups videos with 62 games in that, and we capture all that footage ourselves. Whoa. Except for, I, I think, one PC game we didn't capture the footage for. So, I'm because I because this is what I do, I'm all over the place. I had Switch games, PS4 games, PlayStation VR games. I had a couple old PC games. I had uh, Dreamcast games. <laughs> <laughs> it's My life is kind of nuts in that regard, is that I'm always kind of capturing and editing footage. So, uh, to answer your question, it was an awful lot of stuff. I, I will say that the some of the most fun I've had actually playing games is that I released a video last week where it was a heavily modified Dreamcast with an internal HDMI mod. Wow. Uh, And it also had some LEDs and some crazy stuff in there. But anyways, it had me digging through my Dreamcast collection and playing a bunch of games, including the the original Soul Calibur and uh, a bunch of driving games I hadn't played in a while, like Speed Devil and uh, (laughs) Ferrari 355 and that was that was really fun to be able to do, and that HDMI mod just looks absolutely freaking amazing. It's a it's a it's called a DC HDMI mod, so it's an internal. You have to solder it on the board, but it looks amazing. So wow, that's that's my long winded answer. So I, I <laughs> for that video, I captured thirty two games for it. Damn! All right, very cool. Um, well, kind of curious now since we did just have our twentieth anniversary Dreamcast episode. Uh, what's your favorite Dreamcast game? Well, boy. Um, that's a tough one. You know, the Dreamcast is freaking amazing. And every time I go back, I'm always impressed by it. So I love shoot 'em ups. And the Dreamcast got some of the best shoot 'em ups ever, including Mars Matrix, Gunbird 2. Now, these are all games that you can you can download for the Switch and play, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But the first time I played them on there was on the Dreamcast. And so yeah, uh, there's a there's a bunch of just great shoot 'em ups on that system that I absolutely love. So Mars Matrix has a warm place in my heart i love that game and gunbird 2 is another one uh and then all the driving games on there too like i was playing revolt do you remember that game on that sounds that's familiar it. yeah i do kind of remember it, it, it's it's rc it's rc uh oh rc cars. cars right right yeah yeah so that was ported over to that and it's it's a fantastic version especially when you run it in vga and it's 640 by 480 resolution it looks amazing so hmm. um I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, everyone wants me to say Shenmue and all that stuff. I, <laughs> say the uh, thing that we all know. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. You know what? Okay, okay. Here's the thing. What? And someone reminded me of this. I'd completely forgotten. But uh, when I first got a Dreamcast, and I was very early in my YouTube career, I was like, there's no real good Seaman video. Mm. So I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to play Seaman. And uh, and I and I don't know if you know if you're familiar with Seaman, but it's oh, basically yeah. <laughs> we talked about. Okay, great. Oh yeah, Siemens. So, <laughs> Siemens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Siemens. Siemens. And so, in order to really review and capture that game, you actually have to play it every day for like a month. I mean, you could reset your clock, but I didn't. So I basically committed. I played for song. real. Yeah, <laughs> played for real. And so in that video, you see me my my outfit. You know, my shirts are changed and everything. And. Uh, it was so much fun to do that review because it was so natural. I had no idea what I was getting into. And especially my buddy Paul came over the day that 
uh, Seaman starts to reproduce and basically have babies yeah. <laughs> of himself. Leonard Nimoy, and, no. Uh, <laughs> and, my, and my buddy Paul was like, what the fuck are you playing? <laughs> this is so weird. You know, yeah. I was like, I know it's awesome. So <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Seaman is definitely uh it's not my favorite game, but it's definitely memorable. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Candace, what have you been playing? Well, I know that last week I said a lot of games, right? I played a lot of them. We know about Candace Island, yes. <laughs> right. I actually haven't been to Candace Island this week. It's really sad. I'm going tomorrow. Okay. Um, don't worry. Everybody's getting kisses. Um, <laughs> but I've actually only been playing Red Dead Redemption Online. Really? Okay. Like, the second game, right? It. Or the first one? Uh, the the second one, yeah, the the current one. Uh, they re- recently uh, they came out with the update where like it's like a job system and and all these different like changes to quality of life in the game. And so I kind of dove back in to see what I felt about like there they have Rockstar decided to come out with the Outlaw Pass, which is kind of like it's a bi monthly kind of thing you pay for. Kind of like a season pass kind of thing. Or? Right, it's like ten dollars every like couple of months. Okay. And uh, it unlocks things, give you gives you better XP bonuses and things like mm. that. They must be making um, a killing on that, by the way. <laughs> there's no way they're not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, you know, just got into that and just been running around with my multiple posses <laughs> and uh, just kind of having a lot of fun. I, I realized that if a game has the ability for me to do crimes and then not do crimes... And then also go hunting and fishing um, and then possibly steal a train. I'm typically into it. Right, right. So it has everything. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I really I really like hunting and fishing in games. If there's hunting and fishing, I usually will get grabbed in. And I had walked away from Red Dead Online uh, a few months back just because, like, it, it just rockstar Mm, it takes them a long time to kind of like figure out what they want to do. I think they pace they it out on purpose, these... to be honest. I think they pace it out oh, on yeah. purpose just so as to... More extend... quality assurance testers. I yeah, know. Exactly. Well, 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 there's that too, but like I think it's also just kind of like a game plan for them to extend whatever was the last update and just, right. you know, just try to get like, you know, squeeze as much money out of it as possible, honestly, and just kind of like pace oh, it they, out that they way. They do. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do that. Um, but I can't, I can't help myself. Uh, there's just <laughs> something about running around with my friends and getting into nonsense. Fair so enough. So I've been playing pretty much only that since last we talked. All right. Robert, how about you? Well, <laughs> Candace is going to be thrilled with my first choice. I got to talk a little bit about NHL 20 because sports. Um, sports! Well, I... Uh, right, I'm going to go get some tea. Oh, yeah, okay, go get your tea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'll just touch up in a little bit. I really loved NHL 19 last year. And NHL 20, they added just a few things. They added a new Eliminator mode, which works kind of like a Battle Royale thing with teams, which is actually kind of cool. And they added a new commentary team. Uh, gameplay feels terrific. And I've just been playing through that. It's a lot of fun. I've also been playing this indie game called Creature in the Well. Uh, this is oh, a sweet. Yes, yeah, so I think yeah. we talked a little bit about it last week. It's a sweet game it in did. which, like, you can basically go through and you have to solve these puzzles with like pinball style physics with a robot. And mm-hmm. it's so cool. It is. It's yeah. really rad. I'm enjoying the hell out of it so far. And then there are a couple of games I'm playing I can't talk about, like yet, yeah, uh, like Ori and the Blind Forest for Switch. I'll talk about that soon. Um, I can talk about Lego Jurassic World, I suppose, because it is out now. Uh, they ported it to Switch. 
and it looks pretty I good. I was like, that game's been out. What are you talking well, about? Well, they released it for Switch because they like money. So, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a pretty good port. You know, if you like Lego games on Switch, you definitely recommend it. And uh, yeah, I've just been working through a couple things like that. And nostalgically, been playing some older Sega Genesis games to get ready for the uh, Sega Genesis Mini. I have a unit on the way along with one of those awesome retro bit controllers because I need my six button. There's no way you can play Street Fighter with a three button. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been waiting for that. And, yeah, and then I'll get to play uh, a little bit of the new Contra game, Rogue Corp, this weekend. Uh, I'll talk oh, more yeah. about that toward the end of the episode. What have you been playing there, David? Uh, as far as what I've been playing, I beat Yakuza Kiwami. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, you know, it was like definitely like my first time playing through it. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, loved it. Uh, so now I'm playing through Yakuza Kiwami 2. And um, they changed around like how the combat works. Like, there's no like three styles of like um, uh, of like uh, of like fighting basically like on it. Like, there's no like switching around to like different styles. Uh, so it's just kind of like the one style, but you can still like upgrade and like you know ch- you know like add like more heat moves and like how powerful you are and all that stuff. Uh, so it makes it like simpler, but also like makes it so that you can just kind of like do more stuff without having to constantly like switch around things on the fly. Uh, so I, I actually like that change to like the combat. And also, like all the the uh, like mini game additions, like being able to run like a cabaret club or like uh, what was it? There's like a photo shoot that you could do with like actual like uh, with like actual idols, like actual Japanese idols, and, and the karaoke, yeah, and the karaoke. There's so as many well. little things, yeah, it's so great. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, the, like, the karaoke is always great in, in the Yakuza games, um, especially when you're like singing and then all of a sudden it like transitions to like this crazy yes. like animation or whatever. Yeah. Where like he's 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 in a bar one minute and then all of a sudden he's magically in a music video. It's right. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, breaking the world. Mm-hmm. I think this is great. Uh, so yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. Um, and definitely looking forward to jumping into Yakuza 3 since that did recently come out on PS4 uh, once I'm done with that. So uh, definitely we'll talk and about judgment. more judgment and judgment yes i do i do have to jump in the judgment for sure yes so that judgment. will come very soon i'm sure judgment exactly judgment sports <laughs> all the things and uh with that, i do have a game code here to give away so this is a game code here for the thin silence so the thin silence is a narrative adventure title inspired by games such as limbo and night stories it explores depression self-doubt struggles and trials amongst the darkness the game features that sound that thin silence which calls to us in our darkest hours that sound we can't hear or describe, which somehow gives us the strength to try again and push through obstacles previously insurmountable. So if that sounds like a jam, definitely jump on this. This is a Steam code. The code is 6LF6H40JEX8EBBC. Again, that's the Thin Silence on Steam. Enjoy. And if you do redeem that, definitely let us know at Arc Podcast on Twitter. Welcome back to the Stage of History. And with that, we have the Stage of History, which is a celebration of retro titles at the service spot, for better or for worse, in the pantheons of history. So I figure since this episode is going to be all about Sierra, we'll start off with a Sierra game here uh, called Gabriel Knight's Sins of the Father. So this is the first Gabriel Knight game. Uh, This is a 1993 point-and-click adventure game by Sierra Online. The CD-ROM version includes voice acting headlined by Tim Curry and Mark Hamill. The plot and atmosphere was largely influenced by the 1987 psychological horror film Angel Heart. And a 20th anniversary edition with improved graphics, a remastered soundtrack, and new puzzles and gameplay was released in 2013. So, uh, Jason, why don't you tell us about your experiences with Gabriel Knight? Yeah, so I worked at Sierra when that was released. Um and that was a fantastic game. It was a game that that we were incredibly proud to release. And it was just it was it was a it was a game that 
I actually think it might be one of the first games that we released that was kind of more adult than the other adventure games we were doing. Because at the time we were known for King's Quest, uh, obviously it leads to Larry as adult, but it's it's funny. Um, yeah, the Colonel's Bequest. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and, and, well, that's, that's true. Those were a little bit more serious. But Gabriel Knight was a Jane Jensen game, and she is a fantastic writer, and it was her baby. And it was, you know, her, she's all over that game and her style and her wit when it comes to uh, to Grace and Gabriel and their their relationship. Um, and it was just, again, just one of those games when it came out, we we loved it internally. It was, you know, and you don't always love, you might say you love every game, but we absolutely love that one. And I want to say that what was really interesting about Gabriel Knight that I remember specifically is that it originally came out on floppy disk because you had to. Right. But, but very quickly... <laughs> we released a CD-ROM version because that was definitely a time when we were really starting to go, okay, every game is going to be CD-ROM going forward. Better music, you know, uh, voice acting, and we paid for that. It was not cheap. Did you have, like, the actual actors come into the studio as well? Yeah, they did. And so, uh, and, and this is not something that I was a part of, but it was, you know, at that time you had to kind of convince people that, hey, video games are, are the, you know, the, the thing. And because legit, Sierra was yeah. <laughs> legit, and because Sierra at the time was the biggest game publisher in the world, that we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was just a, nothing but great memories for that game it, it it didn't have a lot of bugs which was really nice because at the time you might have a lot of bugs uh that game was pretty solid uh just fantastic and it had a great story it was about voodoo and the, the occult <laughs> and uh yeah it was awesome it's pretty unique in that sense for sure uh candace why don't you tell us about your experience with gabriel knight um i actually got into gabriel knight probably far too young and uh i because i came from the colonel's bequest uh dagger of amon ra my mom let me play leisure suit larry games oh wow okay and you made it past the uh the um the age check huh (laughs) oh yeah that's right my my mom would come in and do it for me oh wow (laughs) mother of the year mother of the year (laughs) right so if it's any wonder why i am who i am today (laughs) you can thank her um, but yeah, I, it was around Gabriel Knight when I started going, okay, I'm not just going to play the games that you guys already buy. I want to play that one. And I was like, just completely smitten. Like it, when I had gone from the game is like, like, especially Sins of the Father, um, by the time we got to that point, I was like, they can't get better than this. They can't get better than this on PC. Like, it just won't happen. But I had was already, like, the second that I saw Sierra on the box, I knew. Like, I wanted to play it. And so once we got to that point, I was like, well, this is it. I'm not going to go back and play any of the older games. I lied. And <laughs> it was like the tech they, <laughs> like, because it was just, like, the voice acting. And um, it made me want to go watch Angel Heart, you know? Mm. Like, and I was a kid. Yeah. I was a kid. That was I am not for you. Years that's old. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I am 38 years old. It was, I was not like, for yeah, me. Angel Heart would not be for a kid. I recently watched that movie again. I was like, whoa, that's yeah. naughty. Yeah, <laughs> see, the thing of it is, is I rewatched it not too long ago. 
And I think little Candace did not understand at all what was going on. Of course. Because I watched it as an adult and I was like, what the hell? Why was why were people letting me watch this? Who was letting me play these things? Mom! <laughs> I'm an adult and I think this is too much right now. But yeah, I just, I, I think I really, that was at that point when I thought PC gaming was getting to a point that was unstoppable. You know, like there was no way it was not going to become the huge massive thing that is today when you had such incredible like voice acting and video sequences and the story was just so well done and it was just designed in such a way that nobody else was doing stuff like that then well the early cd-rom era like really really paved the way for that honestly for like pc drive so yeah for sure. Uh, Robert, do you have any experience with Gabriel Knight? Well, this was back in the PC era, back in the 90s, and I have very few like hands-on sessions. I was a console guy at the time, yeah. and I didn't really have access to an MS-DOS or a Windows machine, so unfortunately, I missed out at Gabriel Knight on its heyday. I, 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 I know my childhood was terrible. Well, my 20s <laughs> were terrible, but uh, I'm old. But uh, the fact of the matter is I, I did start to catch up with some of the Sierra releases later on because I got into like Sierra games in the early 2000s with stuff. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, Gabriel Line is always one of those games I was compelled to play just because of the talent that was involved. I mean, this was back when Mark Hamill wasn't getting back into Star Wars. This is after he finished Star Wars and he was experimenting with other stuff like Batman, the animated series and, you know, right. Gabriel Knight and, you know, more we, voiceover play projects for him and stuff. I, yeah. I think yeah. it's even I think it's even before he did Wing Commander. Yeah, I think so because that was like that was the the one that involved a lot of video footage, and he started yep. that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. this was in in the peak of his voice performances and everything like that. Now, now he's doing voice performances all over the place. You know, Child's Play. He's doing a, he's doing a Joker for Lego DC supervillains. You know, so his repertoire was built on some of that early stuff. So I'm a little more fascinated to find this early version of Gabriel Knight and go through it just to see what it was like back then because I'm sure it was fantastic. <laughs> And that's going to lead us now to Obscura. Now, I was talking a little bit about how I didn't really get into Sierra stuff until it started like seeping over to consoles. It was an interesting time because they released a bunch of different games like Metal Arms Glitch in the System on Xbox, which is a really cool game. Mm, I'll have to revisit yeah. that one of these days. And then the later Crash Bandicoot and Spyro games after their Activision got the rights from Sony for those characters. Uh, and I was so tempted to do something like, I don't know, The Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction came to mind. The Simpsons Hit and Run came to mind. But I decided to do this one. Uh, this was in the midst of their transition over to Vivendi Games. Uh, it's called Scarface The World Is Yours. Uh, this game came out in 2006. It was kind of a direct sequel to the original movie, and it was kind of twisted because like, they kind of changed events around where he didn't die at the end, but it was kind of based on a revenge thing. Mm, and they did it yeah. like with a Grand Theft Auto style format. It, it sounds weird, but it actually worked, uh, mainly because of the talent that was involved. Uh, they did a great job with the writing. And although Al Pacino doesn't voice his character, he handpicked the guy who did, a guy named Andre Sogliuzil. Uh, that was, I believe it. <laughs> it, it Perfect. It's, that's how it's spelled. Sogliuzo. That's how it's Nailed spelled. It. Sogliuzo. Nailed it. Stuck the landing. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make this work, guys. I promise. But he did a great job, like impersonating the younger Pacino. And then, mm-hmm. like, they got actors from the original film. They got Stephen Bauer, Robert Loggia, Al Israel to reprise their roles. I mean, they went all out to make this, like, a bestseller. And it worked. You know, they did it everything with a third person perspective, open world environment. 
uh, violent as hell, obviously. I don't know if there was a chainsaw. I don't think it ever came across. Mm. would like that. But the game was a success. It sold like over one and a half million copies. But it was supposed to release for Xbox 360, but I guess they canceled it because at the time of probably a lack of interest or maybe just because it's time had passed. But I think it maybe because really... it was um, it was like a property that they just didn't have like a license for anymore. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah, that's the thing with some licenses. A lot of those things happen when it comes to these movie games. Yeah, but this was a lot of fun for its day. And, you know, back when everybody was trying to make the next Grand Theft Auto 3 and didn't really have too much inspiration by it, it was nice to see that uh, Vivendi Games, Sierra, and the team at Radical Entertainment mm-hmm. developed it just really went all out and just tried to make a theme but still it's just weird who would do a sequel to scarface where he survived an attack like that just like i gotta be honest i think i need this game now yeah (laughs) it's on wii it's on playstation 2 and i think there is a windows version that's boxed maybe Oh, don't worry. I've already found it, and I will be getting it. There you go. Um, Good. right now. <laughs> while you were talking, I was already looking it up. Yeah, yeah I, I think this is just one that I kind of missed when it came out. I think a lot of stuff was, was going on at that time. Mm-hmm. So I think I just kind of missed out on this one, but now I'm really excited. Yeah, I think, like, just rediscovering stuff like it's like I would love to go back to the Simpsons hit and run sometime because that was also a fun little Grand Theft Auto game obviously in a much more goofy fashion and then I suggested a game to David a little while back the final Spyro game before it was relaunched The Legend of Spyro Dawn of the Dragon that was another one under Vivendi and mm. Sierra kind of which was a like much more games, dr- I think right yeah it was a much more dramatic game they tried to go for like a God of War style vibe with an older Spyro voiced uh, by that kid who was in Lord of the Rings elijah wood it was kind of crazy yeah and it's rare like you look on ebay they're selling for like 50 bucks a pop that's how popular the game is so it's kind of funny how like that vivendi games thing went down but i like to think that scarface is in the middle of that i mean i've sold candace off of yeah. a five-minute description, that, yeah. that, that's got to stand for something. But to be fair, it doesn't take a whole lot for me. <laughs> blood, blood. Did someone say blood and Elbow Chino? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, have have you played this game at all? I haven't, but it, it keeps coming up when people mm-hmm. talk about those sort of like hidden gems and games that are kind of got. I mean, as you said, it, it was sold really well, but I think over time people have kind of forgotten how good it is. And it's definitely one that I I might even have a copy of it on the PlayStation Two, but I only because I bought yeah, <laughs> yeah only because yeah. I bought it in a lot probably. But yeah, I would I wouldn't mind checking it out. I know the idea of it continuing past the movie is is uh, is is a, a really cool one. Yeah, yeah. and the fact so that what if scenario. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the about the product right on Amazon because you can buy all of these copies on Amazon, <laughs> and one of the the bullet points for the about the product says, "Bury those cockroaches in blind <laughs> rage mode." Of course, the dialogue is yeah, the dialogue is, is perfect. You know, like Sogliuzo does such a great job channeling. I swear to God, you gotta stop saying his last name. <laughs> I'll just you you apparently don't seem to realize my record of mispronouncing <laughs> yeah I just love bury those cockroaches in blind rage mode become the kingpin of a thriving underworld economy oh, and it's blind like blind rage you, mode oh it's like being on cocaine it was so wild nice uh, I'm already getting it okay <laughs> you don't have to spell me any harder <laughs> David you play I'm this in. at all uh, I have not, although I, you know, it, it was You're definitely on my radar. Uh, <laughs> I might, I might. Um, I mean, it was definitely on my radar, but like I, I just didn't, I just didn't pull, pull the trigger on it. But um, yeah, it definitely kind of caught my eye just because like you know it was, it was in like magazines and stuff, and you know it definitely had like the Grand Theft Auto kind of vibe to it. 
which is really interesting because Grand Theft Auto obviously has like a lot of inspiration from Scarface, and now Scarface coming full circle with you know with the Grand Theft Auto inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like it's it's one I never play, but I'm definitely interested in uh, checking, oh, you know, checking it out. I got I got to go over one more feature here. I'm sorry. You can apparently manipulate the soundtrack however you see fit. There's a hundred plus uh, song soundtrack that includes like. Debbie Harry, Public Enemy, Run DMC, as well as Giorgio Moroder's original score for the film. You can arrange this via mixtape feature. Oh, so (laughs) he did the soundtrack, really? Yeah. And it's kind of crazy how they got the entire original score from the film for the game. Oh, my God. I'd love to hear that. I didn't even do that for, like, The Godfather. Well, there you go. If you got a copy, pop it in. Yeah. Well, yeah, but didn't they? They also re-released just the game soundtrack, though. The like just oh. the score for the game soundtrack. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. it was okay. by Mark Barrel, B A R I L. So if I mispronounce that, I'm sorry. It's right. <laughs> hi. This is John J P Podlasic of Game Dev Advice. I'm a 30 year veteran of the game development industry, and have a podcast where I interview artists, animators, programmers, designers, CEOs, and all different types of people that work in the game development industry. Whether you're an aspiring or an experienced game developer, you'll find useful, thought-provoking, and sometimes funny advice on the podcast. So check it out. that's going to lead us into our main topic which is looking back at the history of sierra so uh sierra was first known as online systems and then sierra online and then sierra entertainment um and uh, you know there's also the uh, the like 2014 brand name revival by activision so uh, it had like quite like a history hundreds of games that came out as well um or like over 100 i'd like, uh, like i don't know if you like correct me on that jason or i i think 100 would be low it well it depends on what they're what they're calling Sierra because Sierra obviously was a publisher. So you right. know, the dynamics games, the bright star games, um, the cocktail games, uh, the impressions games, I, it's gotta be over a hundred. Yeah. It, it, I, I think it's several hundred would be my guess. I mean like a new, Oh yeah. So, so, so okay. So it'd be like hundreds in that case. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So Jason, what can you tell us about, I guess like the studio and like what made it special in your eyes? Yeah. So Sierra at the time was, you know, Geez, probably like 1980 or something like that is when Ken William, Ken and Roberta, Roberta Williams basically developed games. She created one of the very first adventure games called Mystery House, and mm-hmm. um, and it, the graphical adventure games. And they basically, you know, were a mix of publisher and developer. And I think that's what what people kind of forget is that well, what would happen is that that yes, there were internal developers that they had down in Oakhurst, California. Um, cranking out games like King's Quest and Leisure Suit Larry, but then they also had developers who were, um, you know, like the Coles who were making the Quest for Glory series. Um, actually, even Al Lowe wasn't actually technically an employee, he was contract for hire to do those games, and he did like the oh, the uh, the Donald Duck's Playground. He did the, the Black Cauldron series. Oh, wow. uh, he, okay. he he worked on. He was a he was a programmer for a lot of Disney games at the time. But Sierra just did a ton of stuff, and um, and and they tried a lot of really interesting things too. Ken Williams was very forward thinking all the time. You know, it, even as a collector, it's really interesting because I, I'm trying to get everything Sierra even before my time working there, and it's tough because they put out. ColecoVision cartridges. They right. put out 
they put out all sorts of stuff. They put they they would publish Japanese shooters like Thexter, and <laughs> you know it's uh, it's pretty crazy. But but by the time I was hired, they had moved the corporate headquarters from Oakhurst, California, up to Bellevue, Washington, which is in the Seattle area here. And they did that because they basically hired everyone in town. Oakhurst is a very small town, and they 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 had they employed everyone, <laughs> so they ran out of <laughs> they ran out of people to hire, and so uh, they came up here on vacation. And there's this little known company called Microsoft up here, and Safeco's up here, and um, there's a kind of like a small little growing tech industry. And so they decided to move the corporate headquarters up here, and that's kind of when I joined. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, at that point in the 90s, started focusing on what they did best. And so they basically made a lot of adventure games that a lot of people know and love, like we mentioned Gabriel Knight, but also some of the best in the series that they ever made, like the Quest or King's Quest Five and King's Quest Six and Seven mm. came out at that time. Space Quest and Police Quest. Space, yes, Police Quest, all that stuff. Some of the better versions actually came out of the 90s because they were just firing on all cylinders. Plus, Sierra and Ken Williams was very smart for the most part, where he uh he you know he started not only publishing games, but then bringing in those developers. So the biggest one and my my favorite, I love talking about them, is Dynamics from Eugene, Oregon, mm. because they made the Incredible Machine, they made Willie Beamish, they made, uh, but then they 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 do flight simulators like A10, Aces Over Europe. They did um, uh, Red Baron, a ton of great stuff. They just were fantastic developers. They also made the football games. There was no game that they couldn't make, and they were they were owned by Sierra. In the 90s, they also bought Brightstar, which is an educational company. So they did Castle of Dr. Brain. Mm. They did kids typing and a lot of that sort of stuff. And just the only thing I, I love telling people, though, and, and uh, Ken Williams kicks himself for it, is that id Software came to them and said, hey, how would you like to publish Doom? <laughs> and, and Ken was like, uh, that's pretty violent. Yeah. <laughs> so he famously turned it down wow. and uh, kicked himself. And that's why actually that Sierra ended up publishing Half-Life because Valve came to him mm. and Valve was like, hey, we need a publisher. And Ken's like, I'm not letting this one go. Right. So yeah. Ended up publishing uh, Half-Life. And also, uh, I think it was Diablo 2. We also mm. published at the time. It was a good move there, at least. So at least he like, learned his lesson from there. Yeah. And so, so to answer your question, because I know it, it, it's a big it's a big question, but the, but for me, it essentially Sierra had its fingers in everything PC at the time. I mean, and Ken will tell you this is that you know for a while they were the biggest game publisher in the world. We were bigger than EA by far because EA was really pretty much just only putting stuff out on consoles, which is great. Well, Sierra was like huge as far as like their influence for sure, yeah, in the industry. Absolutely, and so we we ruled PC, and yeah, there was other companies that were close. Activision was was doing well and LucasArts was doing well, but no one could touch us. We were, right. we, we had, we had games in every category and we were selling all of them. It was, it was a pretty cool time. Which is like amazing really for like any like games, game studio, game publisher, what have you, like just to kind of like have like their toes really dipped in all these waters, if you will, like with all these like different genres, different types of games and just to be able to hit all, you know, hit all these different markets and demographics. And it, it just really kind of showed uh, just like the amount of talent that was really in that studio and like, in, you know, in, in that company, I should say. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just like amazing, like to, to, you know, to like see really in hindsight, uh, you know, especially like knowing the amount of like Sierra games that I remember playing back in the day. Yeah, so. and not to mention the fact like 
the, the franchise they were belonging. I mean, they gave you don't know Jack at start. If we have to yep. recall, mm-hmm. I mean that yep. Berkeley right. Systems. It was yep. really sweet how that happened. Well, and 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 I give all the credit to Ken Williams because Ken Williams was such a forward-thinking guy that he he, from my perspective he, perspective, he never got bogged down in like, well, this is how we did it last year. You know, I mean, well, this is how we've always done it. He didn't do that, as far as I can tell. He was. He was always looking for the next big thing. So he would always say that missed kind of the game missed really caught them by surprise because they knew that CD-ROMs were out there, but they were pretty clunky. I don't know if you remember at the time, but he actually used to have like this little CD-ROMs would have this little like cartridge that you would put the CD in and then you would put the cartridge right. into your drive. I remember those was, days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much like, and they were, it was, and they were very expensive and he's like, uh, I don't know for, you know, but at the time Mist comes out and it's like, it's pre-rendered graphics and it's, 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 it's almost it a game very changer, really. It was like the Mac game killer cha- app back in the day. And it sold CD-ROMs and he immediately went into full on, we're going to take that on. Same thing with full motion video. Is that you know the reason why the second Gabriel Knight game is a full motion video game because they were like we're going to do the best one ever made and mm. we're going to put the money towards it and we're going to have real actors and real scripts and real locations and real three D rendered same thing with Phantasmagoria is oh, that yeah. you know they basically oh, Phantasmagoria right <laughs> <laughs> <and they, laughs> magic point <laughs> yeah they and they they so I, I give a lot of credit to him and you know another thing too people kind of forget is that Sierra put out its own three D video card at the time sure so did we put out the screaming 3d it's a sierra branded video card called the screaming 3d had the rendition chip on it as a unfortunately it was a rendition chip it should have been the 3dfx chip but you know oh well but they did that we did that because we wanted to use our name to get people excited for spending another 200 dollars on a video card right because at the time it's like oh man i barely bought this compact presario how am I going to afford two hundred dollars for this video card, right? Right. But we we did that to to help pro- propel that along. Also, too, if you look in like really old Sierra titles, you'll see ads for the AdLib sound card in there, and a little little uh, like like uh, you know discount uh, coupon for one because Sierra wanted better sound in their video games. And so when everything was PC speaker, we're like, no, 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 no. You want to buy the AdLib sound card or a sound creative lab sound blaster 16 and, you know, try to pushing that along to help make them better and, you know, more immersive. Right. Right. So I guess, um, you know, again, kind of go back, I guess, to like the original question, I guess, uh, like, like for you, like, would, would, would like the idea of like, you know, like Sierra being as special as it was like for you anyway, um, was the fact that they weren't afraid, I guess, to, to like tackle what was going on in the industry head first in order to make like the best thing in that particular environment. And I, yeah, and I think that Ken Williams and the team at at Sierra, from the top to the bottom, myself included, and everyone I work with, believed at a time when it wasn't really popular that these video games were not a fad; they were not toys, and one day they're going to take over everything. Mm. And we we believe that from the t- I I knew it. Because I, you know, I'm a... Well, you lived I'm it a, pretty, pretty much, yeah. I, yeah, and, and I'm an 80s kid, yeah. you know what I mean? And so, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up... I don't remember a time without a, a game console. So I knew that to be the case, and so did everyone top down. And so one of the things that Ken really did that was really interesting is that he always tried to, to make it so that our games were... Uh, that there was value per hour in the game. In other words, that if you spent... 
60, you know, how, and how that compared to a movie. So for instance, if you pay $10 to go to the movie and it's a two hour movie, well, that's a $5 per hour, you know, proposition for you. Mm -hmm. And so can we match that in video games? So it doesn't have to be a hundred hour game, but is it as good or better than going to the movies? And he, he always pushed that, you know, to make sure that people were getting their money worth per hour in a way that a lot of people were looking at movies and television and stuff like that and books and things. And so we saw video games like beyond like just being like games for kids in that case. And like, you know, certainly like with the push towards FMV games and like having, mm-hmm. you know, real actors or real scripts and all that, as, as, as you mentioned before, I mean, that's, that's certainly like a, a testament to that really. Um, Candace, I was kind of curious like, to kind of get your case as well, I guess with, um, you know, as far as like why you think Sierra is special, considering like your love for FMV games and like, just like these types of games period. Well, I think it was because, I mean, I started as a console gamer, you know, like the first, you know, games I ever played were on consoles. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe it was my age, maybe it was my little brother's age, but I kind of always felt like I was growing up quicker than the console games I was playing, if that makes sense. Okay. And I think my mom, at least when it came to the console, because my little brother could play it. So I think she tried to keep a lot of those games like in a middle range between him and I, you know, mm-hmm. and the PC was like the first chance where I could like step beyond Mickey Mania, you know, and right. like do something that kind <laughs> like of Mario and my, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. That could like kind of challenge my my brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was an avid reader. I mean, again, you know, my mom can't listen to this. There's no way she's going <laughs> to hear this. She made some choices, all right? right? She made some questionable choices when it came to the books that she let me read and the movies I got to watch. And and so I, I think I had a lot more of a refined uh, Taste. palette yeah. when it came to, <laughs> you know, the kind of stuff that I was entertained by at that age. And Sierra was like the first kind of, seri- like it was the first publisher that made games that I felt weren't talking down to me. Mm. And, it wasn't just kids stuff, I guess. Yeah. yeah and like, I, I would say the Colonel's Bequest um, was the first time where I felt literally jarred and shaken up by a video game. Mm. And I had already played Maniac Mansion. And then I go from Maniac Mansion <laughs> to the Colonel's Bequest. It's a bit of a leap. Yeah. <laughs> it is a bit of a leap, right? Yeah. And my mom didn't think twice about it. She's like, you're fine. This is going to be great for you. Video games. Yeah, they're video games. It's for fun, right? You're fine. And I just remember at that point on, I knew that it was kind of like when you would, you start reading your first like adult books, Mm, you know, like the first books that didn't say young adult in front of them. The first time that I wasn't being handed a babysitter's club book. It was like, I knew that if I was going, I was one of the cool kids. I was one of the adults. Yeah. No and more goosebumps not. for me, mom. Right. I was, I was, I'm going to tell you right now, I was nine years old. Um, and I should not have been playing those games. Yeah. So but, let's, let's say that nine-year-old Candace Shane was calling mm-hmm. into Sierra customer support. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. Jason picks up the phone. And mm-hmm. you start talking about like, you know, this game, blah, 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 whatever. And then you get to the point. It's like, oh, by the way, I'm nine years old. With Jason back in the day, Bat and I. Well, first of all, I would um, hope. I, you would have got my wife at that time. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. So Sierra at the at the point was uh, was a very large company, and I didn't actually support the adventure games. I supported other stuff online and the magazine. Oh, okay. But um, we, oh my god, we got so many crazy calls. Uh, we got all the calls that you've heard and seen all the memes for. But uh, nine years old was would not be unusual. And to be quite honest, I mean, unless you're going to be playing Phantasmagoria. And even then, it's like you know, I'm not your, I'm not your parent. But Phantasmagoria was was the first game that was graphic that we released, as far as I remember. I mean, you know, uh, thankfully I didn't the, play the, that until I was in my twenties. Oh, we yeah, the, the Laura Bow games, the Laura Bow games, I think are more like PG or PG thirteen. I mean, oh, absolutely. They, yeah, mm-hmm. um, they're murder mystery like books. Yeah. You know, just put to I guess the Christie game. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. See, so, yeah. yeah, no, I think I think it was just I would always run to tell my friends at my age, like, oh, my God, I've been playing this game and I'm playing the Dagger of Amun-Ra and I can tell you all about it. And they're like, what? <laughs> what is this girl? Like, on? I'm playing Mortal Kombat <laughs> yeah, right now. I'm like, yeah, I play that, too. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm playing. And the thing is, is I was playing all those things, too. But if I wanted an experience that was solely mine, right. you know, my little brother at that point was too young to also play the PC. So I wasn't having to compete with him for his Rugrats adventures on Nick.com or Come whatever. On. So <laughs> if I wanted to play a game that was only mine and nobody would mess with me and nobody would interrupt me, I knew I could play on PC and Sierra games were always there for me. There you go. You know, so a funny another little story speaking about my wife here is that recently over PAX we had a Sierra reunion um over in Bellevue. And it was it just happened to be that weekend. It was so funny because Al Lowe and a bunch of other developers were there. And anyways, my wife was the beta tester for Lose Suit Larry 7 Love for Sale. And in in Lose Suit Larry Love for Sale, Larry is trying to have sex with I think seven women, and they're all based kind of on Hollywood stars, and so one of the women is Demi Moore, but it's like Doomy Moore, I think is the name of the stupid name. It's like really dumb. Anyways, and so my wife's job was to beta test this game. And so, and in that game, you have to play strip poker with Doomy Moore. And, and so my wife was like, you know, I hate, she, she's talking to Al Lowe. She's like, I just, I hated you for that. <laughs> she, she's like, I finally understood why some men hate some women and and al was like what are you talking about and and she's like she's like do me more would take off an earring and then she'd take off the other earring you know because they're playing strip poker and yeah. then she then she'd take off you know a glove and then you know it just took forever for her to get her naked and it was so funny seeing al's face he's like i'm so sorry like it's like it scarred my wife for like decades <laughs> Wow, this is kind of like a woke moment, I guess, for her through Lisa Sue Larry. I guess. Yeah, they had a they had a great laugh about that. Actually, it was pretty compared funny. to my story being scarred, because I remember like my first real experience with Sierra came with the Adventures of Willie Beamish on Sega CD. Because again, oh, wow. I was not able to get to a PC at the time, so I checked this out, and there was not literally anything I could do in that game to avoid going to military school. Like absolutely, you know, it's like. I had a frog named Horny, which was an interesting choice for a name, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it gave yep. the bully a handheld game console so he could play with himself. That was another interesting reference. And there was the there was the nurse. I liked the nurse. But I, it's like with these games, you, you had to like, make all these decisions to avoid going to military school. So it was always one step away from going to military school. And I was like, I, can I just play the Nintari? 
That that's the one thing I love the the Nintari <laughs> Championship. Oh, that was right. great. I mean, I love how like any like movie or game back then, like there was like that kid is being threatened to go to military yeah. school. Like who ever went to military? And, and this is like, <laughs> and if I recall, the game also had like early parodies of both like what Rush Limbaugh and Leona Hemsley, the Queen yeah. of Me. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. So the ultimate villains, right there. Yeah, and and Willie Beamish is weird because it's actually not it, it's not Sierra's core game developers it's actually Dynamics. right 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 mm-hmm. yeah. And so, yeah yeah and, and so it's the same developers that made rise of the dragon which is oh. again kind of crazy that they went from rise of the dragon which is like a blade runner style game to willie beamish which is you yeah. know kind of like a it, it's a kid's game kind of you yeah. know i mean yeah. it's so jarring yeah I I know. <laughs> it's just kind of weird though i mean then if it sounded like it was a not really a direct connection to Sierra, but still kind of a connection. I mean, I, I totally, like I said, I totally missed the PCRS. So I'm just talking about stuff I caught up on. Like I mentioned earlier, you don't know Jack. Like I, I caught into this, mm-hmm. like when Berkeley Systems first introduced it, and it was terrific because it was so unlike other trivia games at the time. Because the other trivia games, they'd give, you know, flash questions, flash answers, next question, next answer, you know. This one, you know, yeah. you had like Cookie Masters and going off and just like, picking on anybody who guessed the wrong choice like oh apparently apparently you didn't graduate from grade school or something like that i don't know so it's an example. <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's a lot the, the you don't know we love the you know don't know you don't know jack series uh while working there it was just again beta testing that and it was we loved it we would quote it all the time and, mm. uh, and it's funny you bring that up actually i think people forget that that was yeah a sierra published game yeah i mean it's, it's just been part of mike's introduction like i said i think the big highlights for me came when um they started getting like bigger franchises and consoles like the incredible hulk ultimate destruction still stands in my eyes as one of the best comic book games out there just because it's a level mm. of stuff that you can trash and it's at the precursor for Radical's right. work on the prototype games. So, you know, it led stuff that's bigger and better. And then obviously the Simpsons hit and run comes to mind because that's a lot of fun too. Way more fun than I thought their previous Simpsons games were, save for the arcade game. But it's just right. kind of funny. Yeah. My experience, I missed out on most of the really cool PC stuff. And then I just want to track down an old PC and just play through a lot of these again. You know, just to see what I missed with Gabriel Knight and Phantasmagoria, you know, because I'm reading up in Phantasmagoria. They didn't even release it in Australia. I think this was like one of the first releases <laughs> that didn't get a chance in Australia before they yeah. went on their ban happy rage with banning. Well, Australia is like really strict with like a lot of content. Yeah. Out there, so, yeah. The death scenes in Phantasmagoria are fairly gruesome. There, There's a couple in there where that she gets her head twisted around yeah. and you're just like, wow. I can't just <laughs> yeah. on this dead. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it shows it too it's pretty it's pretty pretty crazy i played the sequel on stream i would say about a year ago mm-hmm. and uh there's a lot of a lot of editing things out and throwing gifts oh. on screen <laughs> well okay so the sequel so so the sequel yeah. is made by lorelei shannon who still lives mm-hmm. here and um Laura, <laughs> okay so uh, Roberta Williams, who made the original, who also made King's Quest and the Laura Bow mm-hmm. games that you like, you know, she is very much a, you know, just, I don't want to say normal, but but compared to Lorelai, Lorelai Shannon has always <laughs> been, uh, you know, into the goth scene in Seattle, right. into the bondage scene in Seattle. Um, yeah, and, you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you meet her, you'd, you'd, you'd 100% like recognize that. And uh, so what happened was that, of course, the the sequel fell on Lorelai, and she went the whole Clive Barker route, which actually I kind she of sure like. Did. 
Yeah, yeah. and that, that's kind of more my style as opposed to the gothic. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, not everyone likes the sequel. I was at a panel down in Phoenix, and some guy kind of... Uh, really? Yeah, kind of kind of went off on it because it's it's totally it's so different, but I but I really dig the sequel. I think it's it's definitely more again Clive Barker Listen, style. Yeah, it yeah. it reminded me exactly of a Clive Barkery kind of feel. It mm-hmm. definitely was like 90s level unsettling weirdness. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for any kind of FMV thing where I get to make a bunch of crazy choices and see what the hell happens. So, yeah. and, I, and my, I was into My buddy it. actually is in that video. So my he's on my channel. Nice. His, his name's Drunken Master Paul. But he's the guy in drag at the weathered wall when they go into that bar. Yeah. Oh my god, how cool! So that's him. That's him sitting on the stool. So I saw nice. your video actually uh, going over like Sierra, and I remember you showing that clip actually, and I remember mm-hmm. seeing that. It's like, oh wow, I would not have recognized them at all. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, I know. He's <laughs> he's pretty funny. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, I figure we'll also kind of get into like some of our favorite Sierra games as well. So uh, Jason, I imagine you'll have like a whole bunch to kind of choose from here. But if you had to choose one particular Sierra game that was like, this is the Sierra game. If I had to take only one on a desert island with me, this is the one. Oh, God, I know. I know. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely awful. I know. <laughs> you know, I actually like the Space Quest uh, series because they're adventure games and they're silly and i'm gonna cheat because i'm gonna choose the space quest anthology oh okay so yeah. that would be one back six we, that's we right that's right yeah uh so candace well i think we've already covered mine um <laughs> but i think the the problem no not not phantasmagoria uh no the colonel's bequest i think it also has a lot of nostalgia for me um but i've played pretty much every single one of them so it's not really fair to ask me that. There's so many different like genres and everything yeah. that to pick one, I think I'm going to have to go nostalgia. So it's going to have to be the Colonel's Bequest. I, I also, can we talk about how cool that little magnifying decoder thing was? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the magnifying glass decoder. It was a little tiny. I still have it, by yeah. the way. <laughs> I, I used it as a bookmark forever. Um, but I just, it everything, every part of it was so creative. And they were doing stuff that I just wasn't seeing anywhere else. And so it just holds a lot of, of love for me. Very cool. How about you there, Robert? Probably Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction. I just I could destroy choppers for hours with rock fists and not get tired of it. But I'll uh, I'll give a, a nod there to Scarface and Simpsons Hit and Run. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, as for me, um, so when, whenever I think of like Sierra, I instinctively actually like to think of uh, 3D Ultra Pinball, actually. Oh, <laughs> um, nice. Ooh, I forgot about that. I one. grew That's up nice. on those games. And um, every, every time I would just kind of like, you know, see like a little monster that comes out, it's like, phew, Sierra, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Phew, Sierra. Um, I, I just instant, I instinctively think it's like, all right, pinball time, you know, because I actually love those games. Uh, so 3D Ultra Pinball uh, specifically, it was basically like the next step after like the 3D Pinball Space Cadet uh, Pinball and um, also uh, like a precursor really to Pinball FX in the, in the way that it wasn't trying to be realistic pinball. It was just trying to, it was doing all these kind of like wacky things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very like unrealistic, but fun in that sense. And it was like a bunch of like objectives to complete. Uh, one that really comes to mind for me, because this is like the one I probably played the most of was Creep Night. Ah uh, um, yes. So wow. that's like the one that had the kind of the whole horror theme to it with all the sound effects and the music and the voices and all that stuff. And I just fell in love with that. Um, I think I remember having the demo forever before I finally like pulled the trigger on the full game. 
Uh, but I remember playing the ever living crap out of that demo like so much. It was just so much fun. I remember going through like the vortex and having to pick like the multi ball or like you know the other like bonuses that that um, that you get there. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I absolutely love uh, I absolutely love three D ultra pinball. So okay, and and what I and I had to look this up because uh, this is again kind of confirming what I was mentioning before mm-hmm. is that that was dynamics. So. Published by Sierra, that doesn't that doesn't doesn't discount it being Sierra. It was a hundred percent Sierra because Sierra owned them. Mm-hmm. But this is how talented they were, and this is what I I need to do a video on these guys because <laughs> I don't know if you guys have played Stellar Seven, Arctic Fox, um, Caveman, uh, Olympics. They did the very first Mech Warrior for Activision. Oh, I played at least four of those. So for sure, Caveman Olympics was my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hard I know. as hell, but it was my jam. They, there was nothing that. they couldn't do. They could, you know, they did again. They did uh, Betrayal at Crondor, which is a really fantastic RPG based on the. Uh, uh, I forget the name of the author those books are based on, but um, they also did Space Quest Five. They took that over. They did football for us. They did the pinball games. They did Metal Tech Tech Earthseeds. They did Tribes, which a lot of people oh, absolutely tribes. love. Tribes, tribes. Yeah, yeah, Tribes was big back in the day. Yeah. There is, and they did the Incredible Machine and a bunch of other games. Uh, again, there was nothing that they couldn't do. So, yeah. a huge part of Sierra history that not a lot of people recognize. But you guys, actually, with your Willie Beamish and your you know 3D Ultra <laughs> Pinball, you know, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, what's also pretty cool is uh, all the list of responses here that we got. And uh, you know, I, I had to kind of cut it down to like uh, you know, to like uh, as few as possible. But we had like a lot of good ones here uh, detailing on their favorite Sierra games and memories. So starting off with uh, Arnithus, who says my first Space Quest game was Space Quest Four. However, the Space Quest One remake I played about a million times over. I didn't realize that I could use the magnet on the slot machine. I had to save my game every spin. It was the longest three hours of that game. <laughs> um, so I like a lot of history there. Uh, Dodd Derek, who says Cold Winter is a cold classic to me. And you mentioned mm. Cold Winter there, Jason. So um, that's, uh, you know, that's definitely one that's remembered there. And uh, Glenn Horton, who says Pharaoh is still by far my favorite Sierra game. Absolutely love oh. it. And keep Pharaoh going back and Cleopatra, to it. are you kidding? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Pharaoh was part of uh, Impressions, which was a developer that did a lot of turn-based and, and yeah. real-time strategy games. So they also did Caesar. They did. Yes. Uh, gosh, a bunch <laughs> of a bunch of those kind of games. Yeah, a lot of people. Was it you guys that was was it Sierra that worked on Castle Castles? Uh, I can't remember. It's it, it, castles again and if it, Castles too. If it's um, Impressions, then it would be believe, Sierra. Yeah. 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 But yeah, absolutely, Pharaoh. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. And also, like Lords of the Realm one and two was another series that they also created. And again, they were part of the Sierra family. Mm. There you go. And uh, Nicholas Allaire, who says Phantasmagoria is totally the Sierra game I played the most with SWAT two, which I believe SWAT two that's Police Quest two, right? It is. It is. And a, a, a nice little note there: not a lot of people realize this, but most of the people that worked on SWAT now work at Valve. Because it's oh. right on the street, and so Valve Valve is over here as well, and a lot of the people that work on Left for Dead and um, Half Life Two and all that sort of stuff are from Sierra. That makes sense. You know what's kind of interesting? Nobody's mentioned Incredible Tune Machine yet. Tune mm. Machine, yeah, oh. yeah, because it was a sequel to like Sid and Al's Incredible Tunes. It, it was like a Rube Goldberg thing, but you had to like mm-hmm. fill in the gaps, and it was kind of neat for its time. I thought. 
Yep. There you go. Uh, there's also Sean Day who says my favorite was uh, was I was unable to beat Space Quest Four. Uh, I couldn't figure out how to get run away from the guards in the mall. I'm just like saying this verbatim here. Um, I tried and I tried and I tried. They were just too fast. Finally, after thousands of tries and total desperation, I hit the turbo button. My 486DX266, and it slowed the computer down enough so that I could actually evade them. Those were the days. I think um, that's a, a common problem, if I remember right. We actually would recommend people download a... Uh, a, a DOS app called slowmo.exe for that exact reason. So this was a, you know, Oh a, yeah, I had that. Yeah. For that exact <laughs> reason, because, you know, because clock speeds were all over the place at the time, you'd have people with three to six, four to six is maybe even a, you know, Pentium 100 or whatever. And some of these games would have problems if they were ran too fast. And so a program called slowmo.exe would solve that. Mm, there you go. There you go. Uh, there's also Lucas Hollis who says King's Quest Six, uh, Leisure Suit Larry, and Space Quest Five and Six, Gabriel's Night, and finally the Bizarre Adventures of Woodruff and the Schnibble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Schnibble. Yeah. Which, and, and, I never personally I, heard of before, but <laughs> I, I think that might be a Cocktail Vision game, which is a French developer that also made Goblins with uh, three eyes. Oh yes. Okay. Yep. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, we're getting a whole lot of games here. Um, there's also Greg Tangi who says Conquests of Longbow, noise, uh, which I believe Conquests of the Longbow, uh, that is the uh, Robin Hood game, right? Yeah, it is. And it, that's a pretty cool game, too. Yeah. And uh, there's Frank Ramirez who says, I got my first taste with King's Quest V, dot, 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 on the NES. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it wasn't the greatest oh, conversion. No. But man, did yeah. I become obsessed. Yeah. It wasn't until later that we got the PC version as part of a software package. And man, I was in heaven. So, I bet. Um, yeah, sometimes you have to start at the bottom and then you go up. So, yeah. uh, There's Danny Jablonski who says, has to be Shivers 2, Harvest of Souls, which uh, I actually did a little, little bit of homework on this. And I was going to say, that's somebody who is sucking up to me big time. <laughs> <laughs> I love Shivers too. Best game ever. I love the Schnibbles. They're great. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shivers, Shivers, and Shivers Two was a direct reaction from Ken Williams to to kind of take on the Mist style games, which are pre-rendered, yeah. you know, puzzle-based games. But uh, Shivers Two is, is is the game that I'm in, and it, I play a guitarist. So that game is about a band. <laughs> <laughs> that goes to the desert. I, I mean, I should probably know this, but it's down in the Southwest and uh, they get kidnapped and leave behind music videos that provide clues. And so I'm in those. So, cause, and the reason why I'm in them is because they basically sent out an email at Sierra going, Hey, who here has long hair and can play guitar? And I was like, Oh, I can do that. <laughs> My time has come. And, uh, yeah. yeah, my time has come. Yeah, but it, it's pretty funny because yeah. So if you watch that, if, if you watch the music videos, it's me. You'll recognize me as a twenty-year-old, you know, dork. But um, <laughs> and then my wife's van is in there because she also hung out. So she had a white cargo van, um, and then also our dog Fletcher, I believe, is in there. A bunch nice. of stuff. So that was kind of the thing about Sierra at the time is that. It was a family thing. It sounded like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it, if if you and it, absolutely, it, it, you know, because people say, "Oh, did you just do tech support, customer service?" I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. We did. You know, I we would write we would write articles for the magazine. We would be in video games, like my buddy Paul and in Phantasmagoria too. Uh, we would help them with the artwork on boxes because the marketing department weren't necessarily gamers. So they would come to to me and be like, "Hey, is this something that you would actually buy if you saw it at CompUSA?" Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. 
That's pretty yeah. valuable, honestly, right there. Yeah, that's really yeah, cool. that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, there's our buddy Evan Bargo who says secretly playing Lisa Suit Larry one when the folks weren't around. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> so, not a secret anymore, Evan. Nice going. It's not a secret, Evan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's Alyssa McAloon who says memories. If by that you mean nightmares, uh, mixed up fairy tales, all of it, specifically bookend. And the dog shrine in Pepper's Adventures in Time. So, oh wow! Okay, that's pretty obscure. Yeah, those yeah. are those, those are the <laughs> educational titles. I believe that was probably Bright Star, which was a Bellevue company that was uh, we had on the third floor of our building. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't like wasn't Doctor Brain and Castle Doctor Brain also like the edutainment? Yep. Stuff? And those yeah. are really fun games, actually. Uh, they are. Lazy, Lazy Game Reviews, the YouTube channel. If you watch him, recently did a video on it. It was pretty cool. Oh. Nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, there's David DeLeon who says Manhunter New York, uh, which I was looking up a little bit when he mentioned that. And uh, it does look like a pretty awesome game, honestly. Yeah, those are early. Well, those are probably late 80s kind of adventure games. But yeah, it's um, around yeah. the code name Iceman era. Yep. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely my, my type of jam right there. Yeah. And the uh, last one we have here is from our friend Amanda Gardner, uh, who says, Oh my God, Girl in the Tower song at the end of, I think, King's Quest VI. Uh, oh, do be careful, Graham. And just the awesomeness in general. I started playing King's Quest II when I was like five years old and continued to love the series into my teens. So, uh, Jason, if you don't know Amanda Gardner, she is the wife of Bill Gardner, and together they, uh, they do the Deep End games, uh, which they came out with Perception if you know that game at all so oh is that the game where you're kind of blind is that yeah you're like the blind yes. woman going around like a like a house basically yeah oh yeah yeah i i haven't played that yet i want to it looks cool yeah it's a great game honestly it's yeah it's really good yeah okay mm. cool so thank you everyone for sharing your favorite sierra games and memories a lot of good ones there and uh robert i believe you have a game code to give away Yep, our uh, buddies who worked on Toad Gemini back in the group have provided me with a Steam code. In case you guys are uh, don't know who they are, uh, they are the hip hop aliens that originally got their start on the Sega Genesis. Uh, you can also play their original game on the Genesis Mini this week. But back in the groove is a all new game. It's a mashup of the very best features of the classic console games with a ton of funky, fresh improvements. Brought to us by our friends at Human Nature Studios, and this is for Steam. It is six H two Q D. Y-J-T-G-H-G-X-E-2-M. That's for Toe Jam and Earl and Groove. Back in a Groove on Steam. Enjoy. And also watch our social channel at twitter.com slash argpodcast. I'm giving away a couple of copy of codes for Switch. Nice, nice. And um, yeah, that's basically the end of the episode. But before we close up here, I just want to give some shout outs to our patrons, Francisco Limas, Mac the Ball, and Mega Daffy. So thank you very much, guys, for helping support the show. And if you too would also like to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash argcast. Uh, where you can see like all the different perks and whatnot uh, that you can buy into and help support the show. So thank you very much for doing and that. And I did just want to do a couple very quick things, if you don't mind, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, uh, since we were talking about uh, shooters a little bit earlier, I did want to say that uh, Death Smiles and Death Smiles 2, they will be ported to modern consoles. Uh, this was announced oh. earlier this week. Uh, I love both hmm. the games on Xbox 360, and it looks like City Connections handling it, so we could see Switch ports, which hmm. I'd be totally there for. And I'm pretty Those sure are yeah, the I, vertical I, shmups, right? Oh yeah, well they're the side scrolling horizontal, yeah. oh, side scrolling. Uh huh. With and, uh, and I just, oh, I just recently over, well maybe I didn't overpay, but I just paid a lot for uh, 
for Death Smiles 2 in Japan because that was an exclusive over there. Uh, it was so, released digitally here, I think, but it wasn't physical like Death Smiles was. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but I'm telling that's you, cool that we're going to be getting it. Yeah, everybody everybody can soon enjoy uh, Satan Claus from Death Smiles 2. Yeah. Candace, listen up. <laughs> Satan Claus. And, um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just sitting here really wishing I get a remaster of Willie Beamish. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Maybe, maybe later <laughs> on in life when he's just trying to get on with his life. Yeah, yeah. I know. if you wish upon a star, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, one other thing, I am going to Seattle this weekend. Uh, Konami is hosting a Contra Rogue Corp thing for for Twitch. They're going to have a few Twitch superstars going at it in the game, showing off the new game that's coming out later this month. Uh, I will be talking, uh, I believe, with the director of the game who also worked on Contra 3 The Alien Wars. Going to get an interview with them. And also our buddy Amelia Lopez, who we talked to a while back about the game on mm-hmm. an earlier ARC podcast. So look that up. So I'll have more details about that. And maybe I'll talk more about the game next week. So, yeah. If, uh, if you're in Seattle this weekend, find me. I'll probably be a pink gorilla. So There you go. There you go. And uh, Jason, thank you very much for joining us on the show. And where can people go in order to find you online? Yeah, so you can find me pretty much uh, all over the internet. Um, at Metal Jesus Rocks on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. So thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to follow the ArcCast on Twitter, we are at ArcPodcast. Same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash ArcPodcast. And you can find me on Twitter at The Guilty Man. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash the DCD. You can also find my work at mmogames.com, adventuresinportaste.com. And I'm also doing a few side stories for my buddies over there at GamePur, so look them up as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Candace likes you on Twitter, and Candace loves you on Twitch. And that's it. Please be sure to check out our partner site, Don't Feed the Gamers, at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That's run by our good friend Liana Ruppert, where her team give fan-centric news and reviews in gaming. If you'd like to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at rcasts at retrozap.com, and be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts. It's your home away from home if you're crazy about Star Wars or pop culture in general. There's also us with Arcast, so be sure to find us on iTunes to subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. So there's absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. All right, Nez, Arcast number 176 in the books. Until next time, keep it retro, and remember, kids, the word of the day is Sagliuzo. Because <laughs> I mean, you can say schnibble and it's perfectly fine, but I say, you know, sucklyuzo, and I'm like, oh, you can't say words right, Wordman. Oh, we're uh, gonna get so many emails. I mean, could this be like a Pee Wee's Playhouse kind of thing where we have to like add to the tinfoil ball like, every time? I refuse. Right. <laughs> fine, I, I will just say Andre from now on. I'm sorry. I'm such a schnibble. I'm so sorry. Yeah. All right, we will see you guys next week, so we'll catch you then. Catch you later.
What's up, everybody? My name is Garrett Morlang. Hey, everybody. I'm JJ Prudom. And we are the Super Gamer Boys. And we are the preeminent video game podcast in the entire world. We are trying to take over the world with all of our comedy, with news and whatnot. And we are so excited to be members of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. Yes, we bring you uh, all the news you want to know every week. We bring you movie reviews, game reviews, uh, and all the goofs you want to hear. So come check us out every Wednesday on your favorite podcast service. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.